The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Beautiful Savior, you are a living hope. Uh, may that truth be communicated uh, by your spirit to our hearts this day, Lord. Would you reach into those chasms that some, some of us might be struggling with right now, uh, bringing that hope and that victory. I pray in your name. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know why. For some reason, I'm, my wife decided to sit in the second row instead of the first row today, so I might be a little winded at the start of the message. It's a little bit of a longer walk up here, but I think, uh, I think we can get there. We, oh, you know, I forgot. I probably should have mentioned uh, teen activity this week, or not activity. They have their summer service on Friday night and Saturday night. That's this week, right, Daniel? Yeah, sounds right. Uh, and uh, Josh will be back for that. Uh, black fly bites and all. He'll, he'll be back uh, ready to go with that on Friday and Saturday. I forgot to mention that. We are moving ahead into the book of Genesis. And we are going to look at Genesis chapter 3 on this fine day. Um, in a minute here. Sorry, is this going to help me? There we go. There, you know, I wanted to start off with... Uh, uh, Genesis chapter 3 is actually a chapter that if I could, now don't, don't be, don't be uh, scared, okay? But if I could, if I was writing history, here's what I would do. I would take Genesis chapter 3, and uh, here's my, the Bible here, and I would, t- and, oh, and then chapter 4 is about Cain and Abel. I don't like that one either. And I would just rip them right out. <gasps> Shocked you didn't. I, was, I found this old Bible. It always has all these papers out of it. It was already got, uh, headed for the trash heap. In fact, that's where I found it. So don't, don't be shocked. But if it was up to me, if I were rewriting history, I would take out Genesis chapter 3. However, it is not Dan's history. It's his, or it's not Dan's story. It's his story. His story, you got it? Uh, Okay, and since it's his story, uh, we need to uh, talk about everything through there. But I did want to mention with that, you know, first of all, I thought it it is about the fall of man. And I was going to, you know, the old I've fallen, I can't get up. I Googled that. Those pictures are terrible. I couldn't put them up there. A bunch of old uh, people lying on the floor in pain. Uh, So we just went with that one there. But I do want you to remember that we are going to talk from Genesis chapter 3 about the idea of a fall. Now, um, this guy right here is actually my favorite Winnie the Pooh character. You like Eeyore? Oh, bother. You know, life is hard and, and things are no good. I don't think, however, even though he is my favorite character uh, from Winnie the Pooh, I don't think, and those of you who know me, at least not a little bit, I don't think I am an Eeyore. I, I think I'm a pretty positive guy. I mean, I, you know, I think I'm looking for the good in life. I have fun in life. Would you agree? Anybody think I am an Eeyore? No, never mind. Uh, don't, put that, don't put that up there. I'm Tigger. Yeah, there you go. I can go. I can, I can be Tigger. Uh, th- thank you. Uh, but uh, a- anyway, uh, I'm going to feel a little bit like an Eeyore today because as we look at some things, like I said, these are some things that are tough to really see. You see, at the end of uh, chapters 1 and 2, God was all about, I created this and it's good. And I created this and it's good. And I created this and it's very good. And everything's looking good. Uh, And then you get chapter 3 and things change. Okay, things change big time when, uh, because of sin, because of the fall of man. And we want to look at that and see exactly the results. And it really will, if we'll look carefully at this today, it will explain a lot. 
Okay, if we'll remember this, it'll explain a lot of things we look at in life. I mentioned in a little newsletter that we put out, um, my mother, you know, does your family get like this? You get together and you have to tell the same stories every time. Maybe it's, my family's like spread out. So when get together, there goes that story again. My mother-in-law's coming this summer. I got, you know, I'm going to write down the top five stories. I know I'm going to hear her six times while she's there. Uh, it goes over like, like that with family. But uh, the one story my mother loved to tell for some reason about the time that as a baby, she dropped me down the basement stairs. And she, yeah, she said, you slid down and you hit your head on every stair. And every time she would tell that story, my brother would sit there and say, that explains a lot. Uh, and that's, that was the family conversation every time. Well, chapter three, I don't know how to say this. It's just going to explain a lot as we look at our world. A uh, little devotional guide uh, that I've been using this year had me in the book of Ecclesiastes this week. And I'm reading, if you're not familiar with the story of Ecclesiastes or the writing, it's about 12 chapters. It's a great little read. But here is this author by the name of Solomon who has absolutely everything this world could offer. I mean, he is probably, and, and this I guess could be debated, but he was probably the wealthiest man alive at that time. He was probably in charge of one of, if not the most powerful kingdom in the world at that time. He had a thousand, he had 700 cockymods, 300 wives, you know, he, I might have had that backwards. Uh, a thousand, he had a hair, huge harem. Uh, basically, he could do whatever he wanted, wherever he wanted, and he writes this story and he talks about, I mean, bottom line is he writes, I can't get no satisfaction. Okay, he was way ahead of his time on that song. Uh, but basically, he says, hey, uh, you know, I have all these things, and none of it satisfies in this world. In fact, there's a one little subtitle in this book just says, Death Comes to All, you know, cheery little message there. But he says, boy, I keep looking for answers in this life and in this world, and I'm trying to get satisfied here, and it's not there. Okay, it's not there. I didn't find it. Now, he does conclude with a great wrap-up as far as where there is meaning in life in following God. But sometimes we just look at this world and say, what in the world? Why are we messed up like this? Well, uh, Genesis chapter 3 is going to help us understand that. So I'm going to read the first couple verses here. Now, the serpent was more crafty. Don't forget that word. He's a crafty dude. Uh, than any of the beasts of the field. And the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... He said, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you won't surely die. For God knows that when you eat of your, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, first of all, let's just take a little look at our enemy if we can. Remember? That word, the first thing we see is just his craftiness. Uh, let's, under, let's do a little strategy here, okay? This is the enemy. Let's go into the film room. Let's study what his plans are, what he's going to do. Um, and I looked at this text. It has so many different sermons, but uh, so stay with me uh, on this one here. One of the things that Satan always uses is confusion. Now, as we go through, we're going to talk about three different things in his attack, recognize this, okay? Don't, don't be innocent bystanders here. That wasn't the word I wanted. Don't be passive today. Sit and say, hey, I've seen this in my life because one of the things he is always going to do is he is going to come and challenge, did God actually say? Okay? He is going to always challenge the Word of God. The reference that I have on there from Matthew chapter 4 is from the time when Satan came and tempted our Lord. Some of you might remember that. And you see a parallel here in his first temptation. He says, if you're the son of God, command these stones. If, 
If this is all real, he's always trying to test your faith. Did God really say, are you really God? You know, if you're the son of man, he's always trying to put those doubts in there. And I will guarantee you from a multitude of years of experience that when I start to hear people ask that question out loud, they're not headed in a good direction. What I mean is they start to say, did God really say this is wrong? I'm not sure. Did God really say this is how I live my life? I'm not real sure we have it right. And they begin to challenge and question the Word of God. Now, I want to stop here and do another commercial for our class tonight at 6 o'clock because that's what we're going to look at. We are going to talk about the Word of God and why we can trust it. Why we can't believe it. And we're going we're gonna to really dive into it. I'm going to open the fire hydrant here and give you a bunch of things about the Word of God. But, and hopefully I made this clear, we are not streaming live tonight, but we are going to post that on the website later. Okay, so, so that'll be there. But I hope you dig into that because this is so crucial. This first place, God's going, hey, is this really the Word of God? I mean, can you really believe all this stuff? I mean, the pastor's ripping pages out of it. It uh, can't be that important. Can you really believe that this is what God said? Did God really say? So the first prong of his attack or the is he is going to try to bring confusion second thing we'll say he's going to use his presumption what i mean by that is presumption on the grace of god in other words saying oh you're painting this picture of this boogeyman god yeah god's not really all about judgment god's all about love you're not going to surely die in other words there are not really consequences for sin look what he told the lord there he said uh if you are the son of god throw yourself down he will command the angels and nothing's going to happen to you and the second part of his attack number one is okay get us confused get us wondering is this really true secondly nothing's going to happen to you there's going to be no consequences for what you do uh, come on get away from this old boogeyman god thing uh and sin, uh, you can do that without any fear. You don't have to worry about that. Those judgments of God are exaggerated. Can I tell you this? This is, this is a Bible truth. When we sin or when there is sin, with sin comes death. And when we sin, something is going to die. Now, it might be hope. It might be love. It might be trust. But when we choose sin, something is going to die. But Satan's going to come and tell you, it's no big deal. There's no consequences. Look around. There's people doing that all over the place. There's no consequences. This is his attack. Again, are you playing along with me? Are you playing the game at home? Uh, are you going through and say, hey, when has that come in my life? You know, when have I, first of all, you know, began to question whether or not God is real and the Word of God is real? And, and when have I wondered about that? And the second step is, hey, basically, you know, it's not really going to hurt anything. I'm not going to get hurt. No big deal. The third part of that is he appeals to our ambition. He says to Adam and Eve, he says, you will be like God. And again, the temptation of our Lord is, all these I will give you. If you fall down and worship me, I'll make you king over this whole earth. Uh, you know, here you can have all this. You can be like God. And very simply, we like this. I was talking about that a little bit last week. And uh, John Ferguson came up and says, hey, I got a joke you could have used. He said, what's the difference between a pilot and God? Do you know? God doesn't think he's a pilot. But uh, I thought, that was a joke, John had died. Uh, see, John, how about that joke later? Did I say it right? Yes, I did. Yeah, I did. That was good. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, I think you can plug in different professions and different people in there that many times we have this God complex, we like to be God. 
Okay, we like that whole idea. So Satan says, hey, here you go. You get to be large and in charge. First of all, get you to doubt a little bit. Secondly, uh, say, hey, you know, don't worry about the consequences. That's all kind of a myth. And uh, you might have to move away a little bit from your loyalty to God, but you'll be free. And many times we look at the word of God and we think, I got I to gotta find my way around this. I got to find my way around what he said. I got to find my way to doing what I want to do so I can be God in my own life. And in the process, we sacrifice our faithfulness to God. But please realize this as crafty as Satan is, he is not original. His plans of attack stay the same. So please get this. Now, again, there's a lot of different sermons in there about his plan of attack. This is just one idea. But if you could see that, that when in your life you begin to question, He's going to fire that up there. And by, that is why I am trying to jump up and down as much as I can about the importance of us being in the Word of God. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And, you, and, and you know, through life, I, you know, I can watch this when I wander away from God's Word. Uh, that's when my faith becomes very shaky. That's when my life in turn becomes very shaky because of that. Is this really the Word of God? Do you really need Hey, I've got some questions for you about the Word of God. And that's where he's going to start. He's going to say, hey, no big deal. It's not going to hurt anybody. It's not going to hurt you. There's no, no price for this. And thirdly, uh, basically, I'm going to give you what you want. Okay? And we get to buying the idea that uh, maybe our sin and what we want to do is better for us. And, uh, and maybe it can satisfy us more than God can. So we move that direction. So I want to read on a little bit more. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was the light to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate it, and also gave some to her husband that was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed some fig leaves together, make loincloths. The second C word that I just want to get you to think about a little bit is, is the choice that they made here, because they did make a choice. And when they did, what they did is they introduced a knowledge of evil into their lives. God's love is beautifully expressed in the fact that he wanted to keep them from this knowledge of evil. But they decided, again, you know, maybe sin can meet my needs better than God, so we're going to go ahead and go this way. And as a result of their choice, we can diagnose the problem that we have on this earth, and that largely comes with a knowledge of evil. Now, we're going to read a little bit more into the story. In fact, I'm going to read the rest of the chapter in a minute here. But I want you to think about this idea that um, we're going to battle now that we have this knowledge of evil. It has become in us and therefore in mankind. And therefore, we're going to continue to battle with it. Romans chapter 7, Paul paints a beautiful picture of that battle where he says, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And we watch people continue to do things that they know, they know will hurt them and follow down, down this path. And Paul said, yeah, that, that's what happens there because inside of us now, mankind has this knowledge of evil. Maybe this sounds fairy ish to you. I don't know. But to me, I look and say, hey, I mean, really play it out, really think about it because it makes very good sense that now we have this, this knowledge of evil. I'm going to read a little bit more and kind of come back and talk about this choice for a second that they made and the results of it. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said, where are you? 
And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave me uh, to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent delivered, uh, I'm sorry, deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and the dust shall eat. And all the days of your life uh, I, I I will put an enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. He, will, he shall bruise, I'm sorry, you shall bruise his heel. And the woman said, I will surely multiply your pain. To the woman he said, sorry, I'm killing this here. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree that I commanded you not, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. Okay, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall be brought forth and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, uh, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living things. And the Lord God made for Adam, for his wife, garments of skin and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now let now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore God sent him out of the garden to work the ground for which he was taken, and he drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim, an angel with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way. Now, sorry, I'm, I'm flying through that for a second, but I, uh, again, I read this, I think, oh, there's a good sermon, there's a good sermon, there's a good sermon. But what I wanted you to think a little bit about as a result of their cho choice, I wanted you to think about what has happened now, the curse with which they live. First of all, we said now we're going to live with this knowledge of good and evil. But secondly, we are also excluded from the presence of God. Those last couple of verses we looked at, the idea of there's a separation now between us and God. There's an angel that yields or wields a sword. Okay, you've been set out, you've been set aside. There's an angel yielding, wielding a sword up, down, every which way. We used to, when I first came here, uh, some of you might remember Stephen Meckling had done some artwork, some murals down the kids' hallway and uh, different scenes from the Bible. Well, the first one on the left there was a picture of this angel, which what looked like a lightsaber, uh, you know, holding it and stuff like that. Now, Listen, I think we made the decision that maybe that wasn't the most welcoming thing for the children's section. Uh, was the angel with the sword, and you know, maybe we'll come up with a little happier pictures. However, I don't want to take away from that message at all, that there are consequences for sin, and they're, they're laid out here in chapter 3. It becomes very obvious. And when we talk about the idea of a curse, remember that God says, first of all, to the enemy, to, uh, first of all, He says to him, you will be cursed. He pronounces a curse on him. And thank God for the curse on evil, because what a curse is, according to the dictionary, is it is, it is an utterance of a divine uh, being consigning something to destruction. And I am glad that God pronounced a curse on the evil one and on evil, consigning him to destruction, because we are not going to be able to destroy evil. It is in us. Mankind has evil in them. We are not going to destroy it. 
But God says, I will destroy it. And I'm so thankful for that promise. But then he turned to Adam. And Adam must have been sweating because he just said, I'm pronouncing a curse. And then he said, uh, because you sinned, I curse. But he doesn't say it to Adam. He says it to the ground. He says, I'm going to curse the ground. This old earth, this world in which we live. God is always going to destroy sin. But he makes a way to deflect his judgment away from man in order to create room for reconciliation. I worked on that statement for a while, so let me read it again. God will always deal with and destroy sin. But he makes a way to deflect his judgment away from mankind in order to create room for reconciliation. But let us remember that because of the curse, there will be conflict in our lives. We live in, there's no other way to say it, a cursed world or a fallen world. God has subjected his creation to frustration. But he has also planned a day when, it, when we will be delivered from the, from the bondage of decay. But don't we live in a world that continues to reject God? Just like in the garden, don't we live in a world that continues to say, no, I'd rather try to satisfy my needs on my own. I don't need God. I'd rather be my own God. Don't we continue to live in a world where people desire the knowledge of evil? I'm missing out on something. If I, you know, in following God, I've got to find out what's going on. That is why the Lord Jesus continually told people, save yourselves from this corrupt generation because we continue to go that way away from God. As you look at our world, okay, as you look at our fallen world, and I've, you hear a lot of these statements now, you know, what is going on in the world? You know, it just seems like things get more nutso all the time and things get worse. And, and, and you know, what in, the, what in the world is going on? I don't know what element of this world has you most concerned, seriously. Uh, financially, I'd imagine you're a little concerned. I was saying, I am so bad at getting gasoline. It's like I cannot time it right. You know, every once in a while it takes a little bit of a dip. On Sunday afternoon last week, I had all my gas cans lined up. I was ready to go to the gas station. I said, I'll put it off till tomorrow. 46 cents more uh, a gallon by the time I got gas. I filled up all my gas cans. I do this stuff like that all the time and mess up. And I, you know, I don't even want to talk about my retirement account. What has happened to that last six months? Uh, that's been pretty, pretty exciting. Uh, you know, maybe it's war you know, that, that has you concerned. You look at uh, the nuclear powers and you hear about uh, North Korea testing this and you hear about uh, Russia threatening this and you say, you know, what is going to happen? You know, where is that going to end up? But I think as we look at our world, the biggest concern and the root problem has to come back to the idea of what we, we call ungodliness. People don't care about God. They're turning away from God continually. That is the pattern of this world. That is the pattern of this generation. Now, in the death of Jesus Christ, however, we have a new word. And that word comes very plainly. In fact, the hope that Jesus gives begins when he pronounces the curse. It's in this very very uh, idea. As God is pronouncing the curse, he's also bringing hope that is beyond this life. The one who is cursed is going to become a curse. Let me explain this for, for a second. Paul wrote in Galatians, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Do you know how? By becoming a curse. God took that penalty. God paid that price. And in his death, delivered a deadly blow to the evil one. And that sword that guards and keeps us separate from God 
Jesus walked into that sword, and it slew him. But it also broke that sword apart. And he has made a way through his death. The passage uh, that we read in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15, it, ta- it talked about the idea in, in the curse upon the Satan that, that one day you would bruise the heel of the son of a woman. Let me, let me go back. It says, I'm going to put an enmity between you and, you and the woman. And one day, here's what's going to happen. You're going to bruise the heel, but in the process, your head's going to be squashed. And that is a beautiful picture of what happened on the cross. For yes, Satan won a temporary victory. Can you see the snake latching onto a heel? (laughs) I got him! And then the heel comes down. That is a beautiful picture of what happened there, and that's where we find the cure. Now, I... Yeah, I'm, I, I'll say just being honest, I'm a little nervous uh, when, I, when I preach this message because I think, you know, again, I feel like a little bit of an Eeyore, you know. And I want to be very honest with you. This world, okay, and this may rub you the wrong way for me to even say this, but this world is n- not going to get better. Well, you know, it might have some ups and downs, but all the problems are not going to be solved. I don't care what we do to save the environment. There are still going to be natural disasters. I'm just going to tell you, that's what the God, God's Word says. I don't care what we do to promote peace, and we should, but there's still going to be wars. You know, the Ukraine-Russia conflict is not the only one going on now, and when it's over, there will be others. And I, I know, I say this, I have a couple of friends, I know this rubs them the wrong way. Oh, no, 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 if we just do this, this, and this, we're going to solve all the problems. But the Bible doesn't say that. It says we live in a fallen world, and a cursed world, and these things are going to be part of our lives. Disease, hey, do everything that we can to fight different diseases. You know, what our number one killers are heart disease and cancer, and you know, maybe you make contributions to cancer research or to heart disease research. Uh, Francis and I make some contributions to the, the thing that my uh, grandson has, you know, because we want to see things develop. I'm not saying we don't fight these things. I'm not saying we just say, oh, it's going to be bad, so we lay down and take it. But I, I do think that we have to be aware of the fact we live in a fallen world. What a great message, but that's where we are. We live in a world that is messed up by sin. And I don't know if it seems too simplified for me to say this. <laughs> I told you before, I went, when I went to Bible college, there it, uh, sometimes I thought it was a collection of weirdos. Uh, you know, there's an element, you know, college guys are pretty weird anyway. I mean, they just are, you know, they do stupid things. And, and, and Well, throw in the whole Bible concept in there and everything like that. I mean, the insults that we gave each other, I look back on now and say, is just so weird because what we do is we take like a line from a sermon and that would be our insult. Well, what I mean is a guy would come to chapel and he'd preach this rip-roaring message about, your God's too small. And then for the next two months, every time something would happen in the dorm, that's what we'd tell somebody. I couldn't get a date with so-and-so. That's because your God's too small. Uh, you know, you wrecked your car. That's because your God's too small. Well, one, one time we had a guy come and he said his line that he kept repeating over and over again was, welcome to a fallen world. And that was our line for months. We loved it. You know, the toilet's clogged. 
Welcome to a fallen world. Uh, no matter what it was, it was welcome to a fallen world. We had one guy that didn't participate in that, a guy named Jerome. Uh, he was always quiet. You know, he never got in on the kidding and everything like that. One day, my friend comes in. He, had, he was a freshman in college. He had k- talked about this girlfriend that he had back home all year, how wonderful she was. Couldn't wait to get home. It's May. He comes in. He'd just gotten a Dear John letter from her. So I found somebody else. He's walking in. And he says, oh, this stinks like that. Jerome decided to pipe up. <laughs> he goes, welcome to a fallen world. Bad timing. Uh, really bad timing. And I feel somewhat like, okay, um, you know, I said this before. I know, and I, I can look around and see some faces now. I know there is just incredible heartache in our world and hard times and difficulty. And I look, and I say, now here's pastor up here saying, well, welcome uh, to a fallen world. Like, why would you expect it? But I want to show you something. And, folks, listen, I, I don't know if you're with me today or not, but if you're not, come back right now. Okay, this is worth the price of admission right here, what I'm going to show you. Again, in my little devotional guide this week, they're taking me through Ecclesiastes. They went back and they read a couple of Psalms. And uh, I'm going to show you a couple of verses from Psalm 73. But it really grabbed a hold of me. Uh, again, memory lane here for a second. Back in the year of 2013, uh, I'd heard about this church in Edwardsburg that had just lost their pastor. And I kind of like to preach, so I wrote a little note uh, and dropped it off here. Uh, and just said, hey, if you need somebody to fill the pulpit, and apparently you were having a hard time getting people to fill the pulpit because I they actually got a call. I think though, I think you had had the last two guys who had preached here barely had a pulse, and they, yeah, let's try this guy. Uh, so I got to preach the first two Sundays of 2013, and I thought, hey, I got two weeks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share some things that God has really used in my life. I remember the first week I preached from Galatians about the whole idea of, yeah, we get saved by grace, but then sometimes we turn it into a life of works, and that's not what it is. It's a life of grace. And I love preaching that. Second week, here was the verse that we shared. We looked at this from Psalm 73. Now, listen to what the psalmist says. He has just been writing through and kind of lamenting. Actually, he's looking at evil people having a good time and saying, this just stinks. Why does this seem like this? Yeah, don't you ever look at the world and just say, seriously? This is how it goes. And then, okay, I know I've used this line before, but this always sticks in my head. I always remember there's a movie with Queen Latifah in it. And I can see her standing there when she, she got a bad diagnosis. And she looks up at God and says, really, this is how you do me? And, uh, you know, I think it's disrespectful. I think it's wrong. I don't have any right to say that to God. And yet my heart says that a lot of times. Really, God, this is how you do me? And the psalmist says this. When I thought about how to understand this, when I look at this world, this fallen world, it seemed to me a wearisome task. You could paraphrase paraphrase that by saying, when I tried to put all the pieces together, when I tried to figure out what's going on, I get a colossal headache. Okay? All it does is burn me out. But until I went to the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end. Okay, and this verse is so powerful to me when I get to those places in my life. And again, I, I, I'm trying to be as transparent as I can because I think we're con- we can connect on this. That is where we get a lot of times in life. We get to the place of Queen Latifah. Again, I don't think it's right. I don't think it's okay to say, God, you don't know what you're doing. And I don't know that my lips have ever said those words, but I guarantee you my heart has. Sometimes I looked and I just said, hey, this, this is a mess. What is the deal? And I don't need some pastor to stand up and say, well, welcome to the fallen world. It doesn't make me feel any better. 
What I need to do is what the psalmist did here. He went to the sanctuary of God. Now, that doesn't mean he walked into the church, but it means he went to the place. The sanctuary is the dwelling place of God. He went into God's presence. He went in and he talked to him. Okay, that was the solution. I don't understand it. I don't get what's going on. It drives me crazy. And, you know, so the pastor's preaching this week on Genesis chapter 3, and basically he's saying, hey, this is the world we're in, and that is what I'm saying. But the psalmist says, but when I go to God with this, when I walk in the sanctuary, when I come into his, his presence, then I discern their end. Then I begin to see a little bit of things from an eternal perspective. Then I understand things a little bit better. And I cannot tell you how many times I've been there my life. I'm a roller coaster rider, folks. Okay, Tigger is a roller coaster rider. Uh, you know, I can get pretty excited and then I can go down. Okay, and when I get down like that, you know, so often what it is is, you know, I don't get this. I don't understand this. This is frustrating me. And, you know, Frances could tell you that she can watch this and see this show up in my life so very plainly. And, uh, you know, sometimes she very gently asks a question like, you know, uh, you know, or she tries to bring up what she's been reading in the Bible. Kind of like, are you reading your Bible anymore? Uh, you know, are you struggling? Because she's had to do that many times to say, hey, hey, basically, you need to get back in the sanctuary of God. Because we, again, let me, let me go back to where I started. If I was writing history, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write it like this. I, I would take out Genesis chapter 3. It's not my story, it's his story. I do not completely understand uh, why man fell. And everything that God wants to do through that, we kind of talked about that last week. God is going to bring, uh, you know, through redemption, something even better than creation. I believe that. But at the same time, that's not how I'd have done it. I'd have kept the bad parts out. But the truth of the matter is, if we don't face the fact that we live in a fallen world somewhere, we're looking for God to smooth out everything and, and take away the problems. And it's not happening, is it? Let's, let's be real honest. Sometimes it doesn't happen. So I come back to this. My heart sometimes is anguished. God, what are you doing? But then I come back to a place where I say, then I went into the sanctuary. Then I leaned into God again. Sorry, guys, I was trying to think. If I can invite the worship team to come back up and... and uh, Sorry, I'm blanking. I thought through what would be the best best song. Uh, what was the last song we sang? Living Hope. Yeah, let's let's go with that. Let's sing a, a Lisa chorus of Living Hope. Jesus Christ said, "Living Hope," because He does speak into the chasm of this darkness and gives us a hope beyond. And in the very sentence where He says, "I'm pronouncing a curse," He says, "But let me explain what's going to happen. Let me let, let me explain what's going to happen." Jesus. Someday, he's going to crush the head of that serpent. Okay? No, you're not going to eradicate all evil from the earth, but I will. And it's hard now while we wait. It is. It's hard now while we wait. But we have that promise that, no, you're not going to get it all, all gone, but I will. Mm. And then we'll see the end as that verse that we talked about there. I will discern their end. We'll know that it's all right. So let's let's stand together and sing about the living hope again before we close. I think one of the things I'd like to ask today, first of all, thank you. Thank you for hope beyond this life. 
But I'd like to ask that you'd help us, like the psalmist wrote, to see that, to see beyond this temporary life. Um, we connect with uh, Solomon when he said that this life is empty and there's no satisfaction in it, the things of this world. Lord, help us to get past the things of this earth to that relationship with you, that dependence upon you, that trust in you that brings with it a hope that's beyond this life. Lord, I pray if somebody specifically now um, is discouraged and struggling, Lord, help them to draw close to you. Bring them in, Lord. Uh, Holy Spirit of God, draw that, draw them close to you, I pray. On this day, in Jesus' name, amen. You, uh, don't forget, uh, tonight, if you have any questions about tonight, ask me. That I know about. If you have any questions about SOS, don't ask me, but uh, we'll get you the answers. You're dismissed. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.